This is the Biz of Wealth. Challenges, rumblings, and evolution of the wealth management industry. Welcome to Business of Wealth. Today we are here with Peter Moore. He is a lifelong entrepreneur and the owner of Simplifying uh, Entrepreneurship. Um, he says he turns frustrations into freedoms for entrepreneurs. So we'll dive deep into that. Welcome, Peter. Thanks so much for having me. It's just a pleasure to be here with you today. Just before we hit record, I was talking about how most um, asset managers, most financial advisors are actually entrepreneurs. And that's the way they get started, sure. at least. So this should be, I want to have a conversation about most struggles for entrepreneurs and where you see them, where you see the strengths of the ones that may that make it and where you see the, the weaknesses of the ones that don't. So first of all, what do you mean by turning frustrations into freedoms? Well, you know, being in business isn't as easy as people who aren't in business think it is. <laughs> and there's a lot of frustrations around uh, being a business owner. There's a lot of complications. Um, you know, a lot of times we feel overwhelmed, overworked, tired, uh, not able to see the people that we love sometimes, uh, missing little league baseball games and, you know, missing out some important times, not being able to take time away from our businesses, not being able to get a vacation, not feeling the trust within our team to, um, you know, be gone from the office season. And from that kind of perspective, it becomes almost like you're chained down to your business. And when you start in business, you start in business to create a better life, not a worse. And so the idea there is that you want to be, you know, um, you want to own your business. It shouldn't own you. And from that perspective, you know, I work around a lot of different things and frameworks and systems to help entrepreneurs work through those processes to allow them to give them their time back, to give them the freedom that they desire when they first start into a business so that their business is working for them. Yeah, and they're going to be working in their business as well, but they're spending more time working on their business, doing the things that they truly love to do and the things that are the best use of their time for their business. So that's kind of the restructuring that we do and we work with. And, and most of the time I, that sort of flows around a model that I've created called the four piece. Tell me a little bit about that model and how do you approach that? Because I personally have, you know, uh, have gone through the process that you're talking about and it's hard, uh, mostly getting the team, getting the systems. It's, it's a ton of work. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I'm not saying it isn't, uh, you know, it does take time. It does take effort. It does take, but when you're going into these things, going in with a strategic outlook of what it is you're trying to do enables you to move through those steps in a quicker fashion. And so the first P is aligning the right products or, you know, in the financial services side of things, the right services that you're offering. So products and services. Uh, so really honing down, you know, with I like to use that sort of 80-20 rule. And you want to get rid of the 10% that either are wasting too much of your time, not making you enough money, or are products that people just don't want anymore. 
honing in on the specialties of that 80% that's really driving the majority of your income and always be looking for the next 10% of things that are going to really come into your promise to your customers. So, you know, think of losing 10, honing in on the majority and making them even better, the 80% that's driving the bulk of your business. And then look, always be looking and people get segment around certain things and they're just, they kind of get used to what they're used to. And they're not always looking for the next best thing because it can replace a lot of stuff. And we've seen that happen during COVID where literally new systems have come in and really just taken other things that have been around for a long time that people have done and just thrown them, thrown them off the shelf. So from that perspective, we always have to be on the look for the new stuff too. So that's sort of that. I mean, in a, in a nutshell, that's the first P, which is really driving in on your product and letting some of the legacy stuff go, honing in on the good stuff and always be looking for new stuff, right? The next one is called process. And, you know, one of my coaches in the past used an acronym for the word system, which I really love and processes, systems, you know, but a system is something that saves you stress, time, energy, and money. So if you can apply um, as many as you can, first of all, processes are never perfect, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't be always perfecting your processes, right? You should always be making small changes, making minor improvements so that it's always better. And that's what you were saying, you know, I've, I've been there, but along the way, you're making all these mi minor changes and it's like compound interest, you know, it's, it, they compound and they make things so much better when you're working through those systems and those processes and always improving them and communicating them to everybody around you and holding and having somebody hold accountability for all those processes. It's one thing to have processes. It's another thing to actually have accountabilities in place so that you, your team's ensuring that they're actually being achieved, right? The third one is people and you mentioned that too, right? You mentioned having the right people in place. Well, you know, I, I lay out people in three different terms. One is that your ideal client, right? You want to be sourcing and working with your ideal client all the time. Those, you know, you know who your ideal client is. You have the best client. You know their name. You also know the name of the worst client you've ever had. Mm -hmm. So think about that. Put them on a scale of one to 10. And how are you attracting your best client? How are you repelling? those worst ones so they don't even come into your sphere of influence, right? And then you're doing the same with your team, your best ever team, your worst ever team person. And how are you attracting more of the best type? And how are you repelling more of those ones that didn't work out? Because if they didn't work out for you, it's not working out for them as well. So allow them to go and find something that does work. And then the third piece of the people one is the right suppliers, the right you know, uh, outsource partners, anybody else who's around your team, you know, whether it's a delivery mechanism, whether it's an outsource, whether it's a VA, whether it's a, you know, a supplier, any of those different ones that allow you to um, deliver your promise to your clients. So important to have all three of those people in place because relationships are what our business is built on. Without good relationships, we have no business. So people is often one of the biggest ones there. Remember? From all these threes, where do you where do you start? Well, I usually start with product because you know in the in the effort that I kind of laid that out, 
you know, really with product, if you don't have the right product, you don't have a good business. If people aren't going to actually scribe the check and write a check to you or deliver the credit card or the debit card, whatever the case is to you, you don't have a business. So honing that product and really understanding what it is that you truly need to deliver to your ideal client is the most important thing in order to get cash flow. And without cash flow, we don't have a business, right? Okay. So the next piece is really aligning that, the process of delivering that to your ideal client. And with the ideal client, I mean, we can get into a whole bunch of different stuff around how to, who is your ideal client, how to find that ideal client, how to look for them, all of that sort of stuff, but really understanding who that ideal client is. And that's how you're going to sort of piece together that middle part of the processes that takes you from their problem that they have to what they want out of life. So everything that you're doing there is really creating this structure around what's their problem, what's your service, and what does their life look like afterwards when they use your product or service. And I know that, you know, wealth managers or service-based businesses, um, their main challenge that I see is scalability, right? When you start in business, you, you know, multiple managers, we say, you know, I, I want to give a personalized solution for each client. How do you face that mm -hmm. type of, um, that type of client? How do you convince them to work on systems and processes, which is the hardest part uh, because they are just so drowned in client service. Um, most of their hours are dedicated to service their clients and they, they find it very hard to carve out time for all the rest. Yeah. Well, I mean, from that perspective, if they really look at it, I would say that 90% of their conversations that they're having with the clients are probably repeated to almost every client. 10% are those ones that we were saying are the, the, the driving down into the individual needs of that client. But the services that you're offering, all the things you're talking about, a lot of those things you're just repeating back many, many times and times again. So you can look at those kind of things as using a junior person to go through up until a certain point of a conversation. And if you need to be involved, get into that next involvement of, of honing in on some of those things. There's so many different ways of looking at how to do that. But my feeling around the processes are, if you're doing something more than three or four times, and it's exactly the same those three or four times, there's probably a process in place that can really eliminate a lot of your time. And so whether that's creating a document, whether that's creating a video that you can have them watch that's outlining 90% of what it is they need to know, where you're recording that video one time professionally, and then essentially coming in at the tail end of that. So they might, might watch two or three series of videos of a half an hour which would save you a half an hour times however many times you're going to have that conversation across the year. So there are so many different ways of automating and sort of, um, you know, making these things, these repetitive things come alive in different ways these days. We have so many different tools to allow us to do that, that, you know, you put them into this sort of system and you come in when they need your help. 
And from that perspective, whether you're using a live person to do that as a junior assistant, or whether you're using an automation tool or video or a PDF, any of these different things along the way, it's where you're injecting your live stuff, uh, your content, yourself into that is going to free up some of your time around the rest of it. So tell me one case in which, you know, that you're proud of that somebody that was service-based and was able to scale through uh, the three piece. Yeah. So basically the fourth piece we hadn't talked about yet, oh. right? And so from that perspective, you in order, once you have those three P's aligned, the fourth peak comes and profit is an important piece, especially for financial advisors. Of course, that's one of the things that allows uh, business owners to do business with financial advisors. But when you come to that fourth piece with profit, uh, that's where people are buy their freedom back. Basically, you can start buying other people's time. There's only 24 hours in a day. And that's kind of when you're getting back to the previous chat when you're running out of time in the day to have these conversations. There's only 24 hours in a day. You can't buy more and you can't use less. You can't buy more time and you can't use less time, but you can buy other people's time. And so that's the kind of thing that we were just chatting about there. How can you buy an automation that's going to help you through? Or how can you buy a virtual assistant? Or how can you buy uh, you know, a junior uh, person on your team that's going to take a lot of these people through so that you're in the final sort of discussions? all those different things. So yeah, I work with a lot of clients to do that sort of stuff and freeing up their time. That's one of the big things that I actually work with. And, you know, I, I have uh, a lot of different sort of people that I've worked with from wholesalers. I've, I've worked with insurance agents and, you know, working with people on the service side and working with retailers, but essentially it's always the same thing. If you're an entrepreneur, You need to be able to release some accountabilities in order to free up your time. And that's one of the hardest things. People need sometimes just need the uh, ability to release accountabilities to others. I know before we hopped on the call, you were mentioning the book Traction. And, you know, coming from that side of things, I love how Gina Wickman put into um, the book Traction, the accountability charge, right? And when you align accountabilities and you're having clarity around those things, your product, your processes, and your people, then you're allowed to actually take some of your time back, enjoy some of the life that you have signed up for as becoming an entrepreneur, and take it outside of your business, not just inside your business too. So from those perspectives, until you start assigning accountability, then it's a really hard thing to Um, enjoy any of that sort of stuff. So how, you know, how do you do it? What is it that, you know, if if you could give me one example of what common thread of um, successful entrepreneurs that you've seen do this, you know, get to the point in which they have enough profit to step back and define, you know, their own time and gain control of their days and lives. <laughs> Uh, what? Well, I, I can I can use myself as an example. I mean, we own retail stores, but I only spend 10 or so hours a week in my retail stores because I've actually set up the systems and the people in place to run those stores. I am not in my store today as we're having this conversation. And really, um, you know, I've worked on the floor one day in the last three weeks 
because I was asked to come in. We're, we're shy of people with, with COVID and, and, and there's a couple of people off right now in isolation for a couple of days. So I had to go in and work. But that's all because I've set up the system. I've set up the processes. I've set up the accountabilities in place. I have people that are making the decisions. My belief is that you have everybody make the decisions that are needed at the lowest possible level in your organization, which means I don't get involved if somebody's bringing back as the own shoe stores, bringing back a pair of shoes because you know, they have an issue with it or whatever the case is. I have a team member that's going to take that and they're actually going to do a better job than I am anyway because the process has been in place and they're accountable for it and they know what's going on as opposed to getting me in there in the midst of things. It's when you have the bypassing of different things where somebody's trying to bypass a level of accountability and there's miscommunication and some of those things. You know, having people in place from the ownership perspective, we need to ensure that we're allowing those people to make the decisions and letting them make the decisions. They want to make the decision. They want to be a part of what's going on. Our jobs as leaders, as opposed to managers, is that we need to correctly communicate with clarity what the missions and the goals and all of those things that we want to see happen within the business happen. Because if we have an accountable team, they're going to rise to the occasion and make it happen. You mentioned, um, well, yeah, we were talking about EOS because that's um, the system that we are implementing at Scalto. And I'm a very anxious person in terms of results. Um, I am very patient in other, in other things. But in terms of going through a process and getting to the results, and I'm a very anxious person. So, how have you seen people implement this process and how long does it take? You know, how, what is it reasonable to expect if I say, you know, okay, I'm going to start dedicating, I don't know, two, three hours a week to this, the, the product, the process and the people. Um, how long would it take to really like productize and, and get to that uh, level of profitability in which you buy other people's time? It depends on how big your organization is and how much of the work you've already done. Okay. Everybody has a certain amount of processes. Even if they're just here in the owner's head, uh, they're, they're there. So if you have to take them out of the owner's head and put them onto paper, write everything down, that's going to be a lot longer than if you already have manuals and books and certain things where you're just going and actually tweaking things, getting rid of that 10% that you no longer use you know, honing in and making sure that those other ones are great and then looking for the new stuff, you know, all of those kind of things. The same with your people. How, how many good people do you have versus how many people are sort of on the cost? I call it bench strength. And if you have a lot of people that your bench strength isn't strong, it's going to take you a longer time. There is no exact amount of time that you could say, oh, you can get through this in a month or you can get through this in a year. It really is an individual thing depending on the size and the complexity of your business. The biggest thing as a leader is that you need to start working on this stuff today because you're setting a strategic direction and you're the one who's leading the charge with the guiding principles and all of those things and laying it out and communicating it properly. And doing some of this work strategically is going to allow you your speaking points and is going to allow you all of the things that you need to do to have the crucial conversation with everybody around you, your team your clients, and your suppliers in order so that they're aligned 
to help you deliver your promise to your clients. So in your experience with your clients, what are the main psychological or capability barriers that you've seen that have, you know, have made these processes uh, fail? The um, missed, well, there's a few. One is that a lot of entrepreneurs aren't willing to release accountability. We've just chatted about that, but they don't either trust their people or they don't think that they can make decisions as good as, as they can. So they're feeling that their team can't make a decision as good as they can. So they want to keep the decisions for themselves. Well, that's not the way to scale. That's in fact the way to stay exactly the same as it is right now. So from that perspective, the release of accountability is, is the number one thing that's going to help you scale with it. No, yeah, bar none. That's that's the biggest one. And most entrepreneurs, especially if they're smaller businesses and haven't done a lot of that in the past, have a real issue with releasing any sort of accountability and any decision making. So once you get your head over the fact that you need to have, and maybe they won't do it as good as you, but if they're doing it 85, 90% of you, because you set your processes properly and they really I mean, it comes in, it's the same as the last time. So they should be able to make the decision on that. They shouldn't need your advice on that because it's happened more than three or four times. We already have this built in. You can make it at the lowest possible level. All of those things. Once they start seeing that happen, then that starts to grow. The other thing is that they haven't actually laid out um, or really dug into their people. They're still servicing clients that either are taking way too much of their time or are making them not enough money for their time that they are putting. And that's sort of number two uh, issue that I see a lot is that they've, you know, they've built a business and they have these clients that they've had forever, but they're not willing to move on from them because they've had them forever, even though they make no money and they spend too much of their time. So those are the ones that you could say, well, I'm going to have to delegate this to a junior partner. You know, those kind of things. And when you're looking at that list of clients, there's a way basically of structuring in a spreadsheet of rating them one to 10 on who you want to work with and who you don't. And that's to me how you're going to get your time back. You're going to look at your real true eight, nine, tens in that list of everything that you want to work with. And you're, you're okay with releasing the ones that are one to seven to somebody else on your team and letting them build. And maybe they're a better match for that person anyway. Okay. One last question before we go. So, how do you filter your clients and how do you decide whether you work with them or not? Well, um, the biggest thing that I do is we start off with a business assessment and that's on my website. It's free at simplifying entrepreneurship. Uh, you can just take the assessment up at the top. But basically, that's a, uh, a 12-minute assessment that I have all of my clients go through and it spits them back a sort of 50 to 60-page PDF of how the things they're really doing well in their business and the things they need help on. So that gives me some idea really of what it is that I could do and help with this person with along the way, if they were to enlist me. Uh, and then, then we have a conversation. I have a discovery call, just like you would with uh, um, financial advice. You know, we have a discovery call. We sit down, we talk, we talk about whether we're a right fit for each other, seeing what they want out of the future and seeing if my services can match that. And from that perspective, we're really playing a dating game 
on that discovery call to see whether it's going to be a good fit because I'm working with them to better their business and better their lives. So we want it to be a good fit. And, and to quite honestly, I, I don't want to take clients that I don't enjoy working with either because I'm a busy guy and I have other things to do. So for my, I'm a little bit selfish that way. I want to make sure that it's a good fit for me and my time, not only for them and their time. So if we have this match between the two of us, then off and ready and, and we go from there, you know, and, and I think that's just part of uh, that dating game that we talked about making a match uh, that's going to work. Uh, I lied. Last question now. Uh, <laughs> from all the books that you have behind you, most of them entrepreneurial based. Oh. I, let's say, I, I have, but let's say I haven't read any of those books ever. Where do I start? You start uh, with business made simple. Uh, so I'm a business made simple coach. And from that perspective, it just outlines the things that you need to do to make your business in a nice, succinct, easy way. The step-by-step process of things you need to look at. So yeah, that's that's where I would start. Um, and it's something I certainly believe in. That's why I became a business made simple coach. And it's part of what to what I coach to. But from that perspective, there's a lot of different books. I mean, I love traction. We talked a little bit about traction. The one thing, a really important book, I think, uh, Fix This Next is, well, it's over on this side, Fix This Next is a really good one. If you've been in a business for a while and you, you're working through some of the stuff. So yeah, Vivid Vision, I run an entrepreneurial book club and Vivid Vision is our book of the month this month. So from that perspective, it's a great one from Cameron Harold as well. I mean, so many great business books out there. But I think the biggest thing with books is that it's great to read them. It's great to have the understanding. But if you're not actually going to put some of the stuff and the learnings into action, yeah, then yes. they aren't worthy. You know, yeah. you need you need to take some of the action steps that are involved in each one of these because that's how you can make a better business and a better life for yourself. Makes total sense. And we'll put them on in the in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here, awesome. Peter. It was such a, It's been pleasure. a pleasure.